We continue with the explanation of the 40 hadith of Imam An-Nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala. And we arrive to Al-Hadith Al-Thamin in the 8th hadith or narration. And this narration is on the authority of Abdullah bin Umar radiyallahu anhumah أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال أمرت أن أقاتل الناس حتى يشهدوا أن لا إله إلا الله وأن محمدا رسول الله ويقيم الصلاة ويؤت الزكاة فإذا فعلوا ذلك عصموا مني دماءهم وأموالهم إلا بحق الإسلام وحسابهم على الله تعالى Rawahu al-Bukhari wa Muslim. This narration on the authority of Abdullah ibn Umar, may Allah be pleased with him and his father. And already we've covered something on the virtues of Abdullah ibn Umar and his father Umar radiallahu anhumah. He mentioned that the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, I have been commanded to combat the people until they testify that none has the right to be worshipped except for Allah and that Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is the Messenger of Allah and that they established the prayer and they paid his zakat. And if they do that, then they have protected from me their blood and their wealth except with the right of Al-Islam and their reckoning is with Allah the Most High. And this hadith is collected in the Sahih of Imam Al-Bukhari and Imam Muslim. The statement of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Umirtu I have been commanded Whenever we see this statement coming from the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, then the meaning is that Allah commanded him. And the Prophet says, Umirtu, I have been commanded, meaning Allah has commanded him. For the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he did not act on his own accord. Just as he didn't speak on his own accord. As Allah mentions, وَمَا يَنْتِكُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيُ يُحَىٰ And he doesn't speak from his desires. It's only revelation that is revealed to him. And likewise, 
you don't find the Prophet ﷺ doing things based upon his desires and his personal feelings. Rather, he would act upon the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's no one that can command the Prophet Muhammad except for Allah. As for the people during this time, then they gave suggestions. And they shared ideas with the Prophet But no one can command the Prophet Muhammad except that it is Allah who is commanding. Because the Prophet was sent by Allah. So you have in cases when the people will come and ask the Prophet questions, and the Prophet would not respond. He will wait until Allah gave him the answer, then he would respond. Or like in the situation with the Hijrah, when the permission was given for the Muslims to migrate from Mecca to Medina, and the Muslims started to leave, fleeing with their religion, heading towards Medina, a place where they can practice their religion and worship Allah freely without any persecution. But the Prophet he didn't leave. And Abu Bakr questioned him about this affair and he mentioned that I have not been given permission yet. Meaning from who? Allah And then when Allah gave the Prophet Muhammad permission to make hijrah, that's when the Prophet he readied himself to leave and Abu Bakr was with him by his side. So this is a clear example of how the Prophet ﷺ, he did not do things on his own. Rather, his actions were based upon the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another point When we come across a companion or companion saying, Umirutu or Umiruna, I have been commanded or we have been commanded, then that which overwhelms one's thoughts is that the commandment is coming from the Prophet Muhammad because the Prophet Muhammad is the one who conveys the message to the people. He conveys the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you see, and especially in the matters of legislation, when you see the companions, they say, Umiruna, we were commanded. And we were commanded by the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There are some lines of poetry that come in the Alfiya of Al-Iraqi regarding the science of hadith 
He says, Kaulu Sahabi Minas Sunnati Aw Nahu Umiruna Hukmuhu Arrafu Walao Badan Nabi Kalahu Biasuri Ala Sahi Uhuwa Kaulu Akthari. That the statement of the companion is from the Sunnah or the likes we have been commanded. Its ruling is that it's raised up to the Prophet Sallallahu even if this statement took place after the time of the Prophet Sallallahu according to that which is correct. And this is the statement of the majority of the scholars. Meaning that if a companion says after the death of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu we were commanded then that statement has the ruling of being something directly from the Prophet Muhammad and not specifically from the companions. So even if the statement of the Sahabi comes after the death of the Prophet Muhammad it is considered to be from the Sunnah by the majority of the scholars. Now, other scholars they say that when a companion says, We have been commanded, Umirna, after the death of the Prophet, it's a possibility that the commandment has come from one of the Khulafa or from the Amir who has the Authority to give commandments. However, as was mentioned, the majority of the scholars they hold that when a companion says, We have been commanded, that this is a matter of the Sunnah and it is raised up to the Prophet Muhammad. And this Topic, this matter is very important. And that is that we have to understand the wordings and terminology that come in the text. Because understanding these terminologies correctly, it helps us to practice and to hold the correct position as it relates to the text. And that we do not get false interpretations or, as an example, something is from the deen and from the sunnah, but we say it's not. Or something is coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we do not recognize it as being from Allah. It's important that we understand the terminologies so that things are put in their proper places. So you have the scholars of hadith and other scholars, generally speaking, they explain these terminologies and they build uh, rules and regulations off of these terminologies. And it's important that this is a part of that which we study when we study the religion, that we study the legislative wordings, legislative terminologies, so that matters are understood correctly. And some narrations... The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Amarani Rabbi, my Lord has commanded me. 
Amarani Rabbi My Lord has commanded me And this statement Amarani Rabbi yani From the rububiyyah of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala Is that he has the authority To command And prohibit Because Allah is the Lord Allah owns and controls all things And that's a part of the lordship of Allah And for Allah is the judgment Whether it is the legislative judgment Or the universal judgment It returns back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So the Prophet sallallahu in some narrations He mentioned Amrani Rabbi That my Lord has commanded me also, there has come in some narrations, Inni Nuhitu. Indeed, I have been prohibited. By who? By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we see the Prophet saying, I have been commanded or I have been prohibited, this means that this matter is coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this here is a proof That there are matters That's in the sunnah that are obligatory Not every time when we hear the word sunnah It means something that's recommended Because there are some matters in the sunnah That are a commandment From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So one should not always Look at the sunnah as being something that is Just merely recommended and I have the choice to do it or not to do it. There are matters from the sunnah that are commanded. Matters from the sunnah that are recommended. Like the hadith. When Kisra. He sent two men. And he from Persia to Medina. And when they came to Medina. They had mustaches with no beards. So the Prophet ﷺ, he asked them, who told you to do this? So they said, our Lord, meaning Kisra, who was the ruler of Persia. They said, our Lord commanded us to do this. The Prophet ﷺ responded to them by saying, well, my Lord commanded me to trim the mustache and leave the beard. See here? That's not in the Quran by wording But look what the Prophet said This is a matter of, that's in the Sunnah In the Hadith But my Lord commanded me This is a command And The scholars of Usul They say Al-Amr Yufidul Wujub That when there is a command What is benefited from this Is that this is obligation This is the origin of a commandment the origin of a commandment from Allah And likewise from the messenger Is that it is an obligation Until there is another proof That comes and removes that commandment From being a commandment of obligation To a commandment of recommendation And likewise when it comes to the prohibitions The origin And the aslul nahi at tahrim the origin of the prohibition is forbiddance. Until there comes a proof 
that takes that uh, prohibition from being a prohibition of forbiddance to a prohibition of dislike. Meaning something that is makruh. So one, barakallah fikum, when we see these terminologies, I have been commanded. My Lord commanded me. I have been prohibited. When we see these terminologies mentioned by the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa then the one who has commanded him is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the commandment is an obligation. That's the origin. Or the prohibition is forbiddance. That's the origin. And when the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een when they say that we have been commanded then this is from the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the Prophet ﷺ, he mentions that he has been commanded to combat the people, to oppose them, to go against them, until they, t- they testify that none has the right to be worshipped except for Allah, and that Muhammad ﷺ is the messenger of Allah. And that they establish the prayer and they pay the zakat. And if they do that, then they have protected from me their blood, their property, except by the right of Islam. And their reckoning is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The people here is in reference to the disbelievers. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he was in Mecca... He called the people to La ilaha illallah. And he remained in Mecca for 13 years. And the striving of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in Mecca was only by way of da'wah. Only by way of da'wah. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam called the people and there was no physical confrontations except that the polytheists used to attack and harm the Muslims. And the Muslims were commanded with being patient at that time because they did not have the ability to respond with physical force. So the Muslims were commanded to be patient. And even some of the Muslims in Mecca, they were tortured until they were killed. All for la ilaha illallah, but they did not leave their religion. They did not leave their religion. And the Prophet ﷺ would walk by and they would say, O Messenger of Allah, when is the help of Allah going to come? Because the persecution was severe. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned to them that indeed you are people who are hasty. Surely there will be, or surely there was people from the past who will be taken and a saw will be placed in the middle of their head and they will be told to turn back 
on their religion, meaning apostate from their religion. And they will refuse, and then they will be sawed in half, and they will not leave their religion. And this was the case of the people prior to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. As we have in the story of the boy and the king. Some of it is mentioned in Suratul Buruj. And then you have the authentic narration to accompany that which is mentioned in the Quran. So these early Muslims, these uh, these believers from the prior nations, they will be persecuted for their deen, like in the story of the boy and the king, where the king he killed the monk, he killed the the one who was in his court. Because they, they believed and they refused to reject their deen. And then eventually he killed the boy. But the shahid or the point here is that those believers, they were strong. And they did not allow the threat of punishment to deter them from their deen. Even to the point when the king, he dug the ditches and set them ablaze. And whoever did not apostate, they were put into that, that blaze or those ditches with the, that were set ablaze. And the people were going into it. And alhamdulillah, Allah made it cool for them. And one woman, she came, as mentioned in the narration, and she had a baby with her. And she was hesitant to go into the fire. But she didn't want to apostate and leave her faith. And then Allah, azawajal, allowed the baby to speak and say, Oh my mother, be patient for indeed you are upon the truth. And then I gave her the resolve to remain firm and then she went into the ditch. So in the beginning of the affair in Mecca, the Muslims, they faced persecution. And when Allah did not allow them to Respond back physically And the Muslims were They were oppressed without a doubt And it's mentioned that But when Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anh, Accepted Islam This brought some type of izzah Some some might to the Muslims This brought some type of relief Because Umar ibn Khattab Prior to him accepting Islam He was a man that was feared by the people And when Umar ibn Khattab Accepted Islam is mentioned that the Muslims were able to pray near the Kaaba after he accepted Islam. But it still was persecution. But not as it was prior uh, to Umar ibn Khattab accepting Islam. And the Muslims, they were in a difficult situation there. They, they were really not allowed to practice their deen. And this is why the hijra was allowed for them. So the first hijra was from Mecca to Habasha, to Abyssinia. And then the Muslims had heard that Islam became established in Mecca and then they came back to Mecca only to realize the information was false. So they went back to Abyssinia again, a second time. 
And then after that, the migration was to Medina. And there in Medina, alhamdulillah, the Islamic uh, society was established. Islamic community was established. And after the Battle of Badr, alhamdulillah, the, the Muslim force was recognized. As Allah gave victory unto the Muslims. No. Yes. No, the iman was strong. They were physically weak. They was the faith was strong. Uh huh. Now, an, an allowance is is here. That if a Muslim is threatened with death, either you leave your religion or we will kill you, you are allowed to say that you're not a Muslim. But with the condition that the heart, mutma'in bil iman, that the heart is still firm and at ease with faith. Because no one can change what's in your heart, and no one can see what's in your heart. As for a statement or an action, yes, possible someone can force you to say something you don't want to say. Or force you to do something you don't want to do. And if a person is in that situation, it is allowed for the Muslim to uh, to say, I'm not a Muslim. Right, to save his life. Not in the beginning. Not in the beginning of the affair. And then that rule was changed. And this was the rule from with the previous nations also. They had to be patient. They were not allowed to denounce their, their deen. So they had to be patient. But Allah Azza wa Jal has given this ummah an allowance to verbally denounce Islam when under the threat of punishment. But the threat has to be real. Right? It has to be that it coming from people who are able to carry out the threat. You know, not you know, just somebody just, you know, just yelling some you know, oh, I'm not a Muslim. No, 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 no. But it has to be like a real threat that's there. When a person is in uh, serious danger and the likes. In this case, the person can say, I'm not a Muslim, to save his life. To save his life. But with the condition that the heart is at ease with Iman. That you don't denounce Islam in your heart. You're only verbally denouncing it for the point of getting out of the situation. And like uh, Ammar ibn Yasir, radiallahu an. The polytheists, they got a hold of him. And you know, his parents were killed. His parents were killed in Mecca. So the polytheists, they got a hold of Ammar ibn Yasir. And they began to torture him and beat him. Until he cursed the Prophet Muhammad So he did it. He cursed the Prophet. They let him go. But he didn't feel right. So he went to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And he mentioned what happened That they were beating on him And they were persecuting him Until he cursed him Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He stated In كَيْفَ تَجِدُ قَلْبَكَ How you find your heart 
And Ammar, he said, Mutma'in bil iman. My heart is at ease with faith. See, this is, this is what was judged in this case here. The heart. Because you're under a situation of being persecuted. So the Prophet asked him, كَيْفَ تَجِدُ قَلْبَكَ فَقَالَ مُتْمَئِنْ بِالْإِيمَانِ قَالَ إِنْ عَادُ فُعُدْ إِنْ عَادُ فُعُدْ If they do the same thing to you, if they go back to persecuting you and torturing you until you curse me, then you do the same thing again to get out of the situation. So that rule of remaining patient upon being persecuted and tortured, that rule is no longer, uh, we're not no longer obligated to do that. No, everything, when, when, that, when the Prophet says, in adu fu'ud, that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In adu fu'ud, that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because remember, in the beginning, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned the condition of the people from the past and how they were persecuted. And the people of the past, they had to be patient. There's a narration where there were two men who came to a town. And the people of the town would not allow anyone to pass through except that you offered a, a sacrifice to their God. So one individual, they told him to offer a sacrifice. He refused. They killed him. The other individual, they said, offer a sacrifice. He said, I don't have anything to sacrifice. He said, sacrifice anything, even if it's a fly. So he killed the fly and offered it as a sacrifice. And the prophet said, a man, he goes to the hellfire over a fly. See, because at that time, it was prohibited to do an act, even if you didn't mean it. You had to be patient upon what was going to come to you from holding on to your faith. And this time, with the Ummah of the Prophet if we was in a situation like that, you can pretend to be offering a sacrifice to the God to get through, to get past safely, but the heart is at ease with Iman. You understand? Say you have to get to a place, you're running, you're trying to escape, and they said, no, every, no one can pass through except that they have to offer sacrifice, and any Muslim that's here, we're killing them. You can fake the, fake the offering. But the heart is at ease with Iman. Right? Because they cannot see what's in the heart. So when the Prophet ﷺ mentioned this to Ammar ibn Yasir, in Adu Fa'ud, if they do what they were doing to you, punishing you and torturing you, then you say what you said to get out of the situation. You do that again. But the condition is that the heart has to be at ease or firm upon Iman. If a person in his heart, when he denounces Islam, he means it in his heart, then the person has left the fold.
Because no one can force your heart to do something. You understand? Because no one can see what's in the heart. So they don't know if you're telling the truth or not. They're just going off of what they see from you and what you're verbally saying. So in this case, a person is allowed to openly denounce his deen to save his life. Huh? No, for sure there's a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because the people are on different levels of faith. Now, if a person is strong enough to say, I'm not denouncing my deen, and he takes what comes to him, alhamdulillah, he gets a great reward. But not everybody is on that level. Not every, not, he may be ready to go, but not everybody is on that level. And Allah Azza wa Jal, he knows that. So Allah Azza wa Jal made an allowance for the people. You understand? This is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what this shows, barakallahu feekum, the mercy of Allah azawajal upon the people when they are living in a situation when they're able to practice their deen. That's a favor and mercy from Allah. Don't take that for granted. Because war and persecution, that's not something easy to live under. And a lot of times we take for granted the safety and the security that we have and the ease that we have in practicing our deen. We take it for granted. You know, and you find that people, they are sinning, they're not praying, and, you know, they're just enjoying life. You never know what the situation may change to when you really can't pray openly because of the persecution. So as long as you are in a situation where you are safe and you're able to practice your religion openly without any persecution, take advantage of that. Don't take this matter, don't take the safety and security and the ability to practice your deen for granted. Because you never know how the situation may change. You know, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, for his protection and safety and security, but you don't know what, what can happen and how matters can change overnight. You know, and we're not wishing for any situation like that, but we're just speaking with reality. We don't know, because Allah knows the future and how things will be. But as long as we are in a position to practice our deen openly, Without any persecution. I mean, we have incidents happening here and there, but there's no like widespread persecution. Like, we can't, the woman can't go out with a hijab, and except that they're getting attacked and raped. And we don't have that situation. You have isolated situations. And then in some places, the, the, uh, the biased crimes are more than others. And then you have some places you don't, there's, the people don't experience that because of the Muslim community being strong in areas and the likes. But, we're not in a situation where there's widespread persecution. Like, it's open season on every Muslim, no matter where he is. Thank Allah for that. Wallahi, thank Allah for that. That we're able to sit in the masjid and say, Allah said, the Prophet said, the Sahaba said, learn our deen, make the salat, fast Ramadan, have Eid. Thank Allah for that. And you have some of the Muslims, unfortunately, they take these things for granted. Everything is about party time and sinning and disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fitting in and living the life 
And then if a situation comes like that, now that people want to remember Allah. No, remember Allah in times of ease, Allah will remember you in times of hardship. As the Prophet sallallahu alayhi وسلم mentioned تعرف على الله في الرخاء يعرفك في الشدة أو كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم Know Allah in the times of ease and Allah will know you in times of hardship. But some of us, we only call upon Allah when things get rough. And now we're praying now because the doctor said that uh, there was a cancer found in that, now in the masjid. Subhanallah what about before the cancer was there? Allah didn't have the right to be praised and called upon and worshipped. We have to get out of this type of mentality that we only know Allah when times get rough. Rather, we must know Allah in the good times as well as in the difficult times. And if we know Allah as when times are good, and know that good times are also a test. Don't think that the difficult times is only a test. No, Allah tests the people with good and bad. When the times are good, the test is, are you going to be grateful? When the money is flowing in, and you got a nice bank account, are you going to pay a zakat? Are you going to make hajj? You didn't make hajj yet? You in, in a state of good health, are you going to fast Ramadan? This is the test. You have free time. You're going to go pray in the masjid. Allah just bless you with a nice car. Before your complaint was you live too far from the masjid. Allah just bless you with a nice car. You're going to drive to the masjid now to go make salat? Or are you driving around the town and, and showing off the car at night? What you doing? This is, this is a test. It's a test. You were complaining about not having a wife. Now Allah bless you with a wife. How are you going to treat her? Are you going to be loyal to her? Are you going to go out and still play around with the woman like you would? What's the excuse now? The good, is, the good is a test. Are you going to be grateful? So when we are in times of ease and in times of safety and security, that's a test from Allah. Are we going to be grateful and show gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Because if Allah decrees, he can remove it, take it all away, and, and we'll really be in a difficult situation. As we see, as some of our brothers and sisters around the Muslim world are in. That can easily be here. Overnight. So it's, it's very important, Ikhwan wa Akhawat, that in these times of ease and safety and security, that we have to show gratitude to Allah by practicing our deen. Sometimes The scholars, they mention a beautiful point. Because the question comes, how does a person know the difference between a punishment and a test? Allah Azza wa Jal mentions, وَمَا أَصَابَكُمْ مِن مُصِيبَةٍ فَبِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ and whatever has befallen you is from what your own hands have earned. However, that verse is for the people of sin and transgression. That verse is not for everybody. 
Because you have the hadith, أَشَدُّ النَّاسِ بَلَاءً الْأَنْبِيَاءِ ثُمَّ الصَّالِحُونَ ثُمَّ الْأَمْثَلِ فَالْأَمْثَلِ That those who have the most severe test are the prophets, and then the righteous, and then those who are like them or similar to them, and those who are similar to them. So a calamity can strike an area. For some people is a punishment. And for some people, it's a test. It goes back to the individual. How was he living prior to the situation? Was he righteous, upright, adhering to the commandments of Allah? Okay, so now Allah is testing them with this difficulty. Or was the person a sinner or were the people sinners? So now Allah as a wajal is testing the people. And then sometimes you have... That yes, people are righteous as it relates to their prayer and fasting and staying away from the haram, but they don't command the right and forbid the wrong. They don't enjoin the good and forbid the evil. So now because of them being quiet about the evil that's taking place, Allah sends something upon everybody. Because the people had who are, the people who are righteous, they had the ability to speak out. They had the ability to change the evil and they didn't change the evil. As comes in the narration, uh, Abu Bakr radiallahu an, he mentioned to the people that you people, you misunderstand the the verse of Allah subhanahu wa taala, where Allah says, "Concern yourself with yourselves, all you who believe. Concern yourself with yourselves." So, meaning the people think that that meant that just worry about you. Concern yourself with yourselves, meaning you as a community be concerned with your community. Right? You as a community have to be concerned with the community. You can't just say, oh, that's not my affair, and you just turn a blind eye, and you have the ability to change an evil, whether changing it by your hands or speaking against it. Everyone has the ability to hate it in the heart. That's why the Prophet said, and that is the weakest of Iman. That whoever from amongst you sees an evil, then let him change it with his hands. If he's not able to, then with his tongue. And if he's not able to, then with his heart. And that's the weakest of faith. Meaning as it relates to these three matters. Changing it with the hand, changing it with the tongue, or changing it with the heart. The heart is the, the lowest level. Everyone has the ability to hate evil in the heart. But now when the people have the ability to change the evil with the hands, to change the evil by speaking out, and they don't, and then a punishment comes down, it also affects those righteous people because of their silence. And this is what Abu Bakr radiallahu an mentioned to the people that the Prophet mentioned that when the people do not enjoin the good and forbid the evil, that Allah sends a punishment that afflicts all of them. The righteous and the wicked. Righteous from the aspect of they were not enjoying, they, they were not indulging in the haram. But they fell short in the area of enjoying the good and forbidding the evil because they had the ability to do it. So we, we, have, we, have, to be, uh, we have to be very careful with these affairs. You know, and do what we have the ability to do. That's what we're responsible for, which you have the ability to do. Say that again. The person, the people of sin, 
and this is how the person determines the people of sin when the calamity comes is a punishment for them and the people of righteousness for them is a test now as it relates to when you're looking at someone the scholars say don't accuse if you don't know a person to be a sinner and you see that the person is going through hardship don't automatically think Allah is punishing the person rather have good thoughts that Allah is testing the person Sometimes a person gets sick, we see in a brother he's healthy, we know him to be righteous, then he gets sick, automatically we think Allah punishing him. Okay, Ayub was sick for 18 years. What crime did he commit? Ayub was not a sinner, he's a prophet. But Allah tested him. And the hadith mentions that Ayub was sick for 18 years. It's a long time for a person to be sick. And it got, it, it, it intensified as the time went on. But that was Allah's test for Ayub. So just because someone is sick doesn't automatically mean Allah is punishing them. A person is diagnosed with cancer. A person is diagnosed with another type of ailment that's life-threatening. It doesn't automatically mean Allah is punishing the person. Allah is testing the person. Allah is purifying the person. So that's what we are supposed to think when we see people who, we, who are known to be righteous going through hardships and calamities that Allah is testing them. But for yourself... Don't say, oh, Allah is testing me. No. Think that, may Allah, that Allah is punishing you for something you did wrong. Because that's how the early Muslims were. When something, as like Fudayl ibn Iyad, he said, whenever I disobey Allah, I see the results of it in my wife, in my child, and in my riding beast. Whenever I disobey Allah, I see the results of it. So you disobey Allah, you're supposed to obey Allah. So now the people... They're supposed to obey you, they disobey you. Sometimes brothers wonder why their wives are giving them a hard time. Because you're not following what you're supposed to follow as it relates to Allah. So when these things will happen, they would look at themselves. And look at where's the shortcoming. What did I do wrong? Right? Not look at themselves as being righteous and that this is a test and then for everybody else is a punishment. No, the opposite. Opposite way. I believe it was uh, one of the uh, Emma, might have been Imam Shafi, escaping me right now, that he was walking in the marketplace and he looked at the shin of a woman and it caused him to forget some Quran. And then he complained to his teacher about it, and he said that the the knowledge of Allah is a light, and a light doesn't Allah doesn't give His light to criminals. And not that he was a criminal, but he was saying this is why you this is one of the reasons why you can lose knowledge and forget knowledge because of your sins. That's a punishment. It's a punishment because this deen is a light. Allah gives this light to the people of piety and uprightness. Allah don't just give this light to anyone. Inshallah ta'ala will stop at this point. Whatever is correct, we praise is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Whatever is incorrect, it is for myself. And subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha ila anta staghfirukum wa tubi